the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, after meandering our way through Kyushu in our last episode, it's time to get back to the hustle and bustle of the Kanto area with the three Kanagawa clubs going under the microscope in this episode. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing not bad. And yeah, looking forward to talking about some of the, the Kanto teams and, and three teams who had very, very different seasons in very different parts of the league last, last year. And we've got, got two very good guests on tonight. So yeah, I can't, can't wait to get into it. Uh, how about yourself, Ben? How are you doing tonight? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thank you very much, Johnny. Yes, and uh, ready to go with uh, our first guest of the evening. He was our final guest of uh, 2023. You might recall, listeners, after his uh, Kawasaki side triumphed uh, eventually on penalties over Kashiwa in the Emperor's Cup final at the National Stadium. So it's a, a big welcome back to the pod to uh, Neil Debnam. Neil, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, hopefully uh, uh, we've got a bit... Well, I don't want to preempt anything we're about to talk about, but hopefully... 2024 might be a bit more exciting for Frontoni. Okay, well, you've set me up perfectly there. That's a terrific segue, uh, Neil, to uh, to begin our chat about Frontale by talking about uh, 2023. Yes, uh, the Empress Cup triumph aside, uh, a season I uh, I guess you wanted to uh, sweep from your memory as swiftly as possible. Uh, so, yes, unfortunately for Frontale, they slipped from second in the table down to eighth, which is their lowest finish since uh, 2012. Uh, they only won two of the first nine leagues games and were 15th but obviously with the table fairly bunched up at that point it only took uh, three wins in a row from that point for them to climb to sixth which proved to be their highest position in the table all season they spent most of the second half of the year in ninth uh, but were unbeaten in their last five and eased their way up to that eighth placed finished uh, Yasuto Wakizaka led the way with the nine goals Taisei Miyashiro got eight and Yusuke Sagawa six in their tally of 51 goals which was fourth best in the league but they let in 45 which was worst amongst teams in the top half of the table as we've mentioned already a couple of times they won the Emperor's Cup on penalties uh, against uh, Kashiwa and made it through to the round of 16 of the ACL and speaking of that they play away at Shandong Taishan on Tuesday with the home leg a week later so uh, yes Neil it was an unfortunate slide down the table and uh, well yeah as I said probably a season that you wanted to forget as quickly as possible sorry to bring it up again <laughs> yeah no, definitely um i think probably the worst thing about i mean people are sick of my moaning i guess but i think the worst thing about last year was the fact that it they didn't even it wasn't like a rebuilding season it was more like a dismantling season so there was no sort of feeling that we were sort of going places apart from in the acl which is i mean it's still absolute um, beggar's belief really how we managed to uh, navigate the group quite so easily it's a bit of a mystery considering how we were playing in the league but yeah I think uh, sort of at the end of 2022 I think I thought we'd like massively over improved and we'd been re- uh, overperformed and that we'd been really lucky to finish were we second I think we were second in the mm. league I can't remember mm. and then uh, last year I think everything came home to roost basically uh it's yeah it's it's not a trauma to bring it up because I think it was 
uh, thoroughly deserved and uh, yeah probably yeah well justified thoroughly deserved and yeah we we could do with uh, having a few bad years I guess we've done all right recently so yeah, I don't want to sound like a broken record, Johnny, but we've said it so many times over the years, the, the quality of the players that they've lost. And I guess, um, yeah, just simply trying to replace the, the quality that they've had to uh, had to let go of is just proven to be uh, an impossibility. So, um, yeah, many people will have been surprised at the, uh, the number of places they slid down the table. But when you just add everything up and, yeah, the, the quality that they've uh, they've seen walk out the door in, in the last three or four years, I mean, it was inevitable, I think, that a season like this was going to happen uh, for Frontale. Yeah, I think we mentioned it last night or, t- or last week. We we're talking about Kashiwa about how you can quite quickly fall like eight, nine, ten places in, in J1 with, with not too much changing. And I think you know, Kawasaki are a bit of an exception in that they, they finished in the top four for like so many years in a row. I think they finished eighth in 2012, and that like last year was the lowest finish since then. Um, so you know, only kind of falling, you know, kind of, I say only only falling six places in J J one terms is not actually that bad. There's been bit bigger disaster seasons where teams have fallen from. I think Gamba finished third one year and went seventeenth and down the next season. Just what one bad season. So yeah, it, it, it could be worse, and it definitely did shape up to be worse in the first half of the year. But yeah, a couple of summer additions. I, I remember yeah, Neil, you came on and talked with me in the, in the summer, and you just brought in Gomez and. I don't know, he didn't do an awful lot on the field, but maybe off the field sort of helped to kind of brighten the place up a bit. And it, it did seem like there was a better atmosphere around the place at the back end of the season with with the lead gone. That they sort of relaxed a bit and picked up some results at the end, and then they were winning cup games and doing well in the ACL. So yeah, a, a bit of a slump last year, but yeah, you, you might you might say the season before they might have been a bit lucky in places. Last year the luck certainly went against them. Maybe this year, I think that the luck might turn, and you might see them you might see some shoots of recovery this year. I think. Yeah, I I I hope things will be better this year. <laughs> that like lost, I guess after their success, the only way was down. But after a sort of thoroughly average last uh, season, last season apart from uh, winning the Empress Cup in the most average way possible, I guess the only way the only way is up or. or or possibly down, but hopefully up. <laughs> Indeed. Now, um, in my uh, show notes for the uh, the, the final episode of uh, of 2023 that you uh, guested on, Neil, I, I said that yeah, obviously we uh, commiserated with Racehol, uh, but uh, celebrated another trophy under Toru Oniki before we turned our attention to what is sure to be a fascinating winter transfer window for Frontale. So has it been that? Uh, we knew at that time that uh, both Jao Schmidt and Leandro Damiao were leaving the club, and indeed they have returned uh, back to Brazil. Uh, the the rumour mill was uh, rife with uh, news that Mickey Yamane might be on his way to Major League Soccer in America, and that has uh, indeed transpired. He's headed over to the LA Galaxy and is now a teammate of Maya Yoshida. Well, you've also seen a long-time uh, servant of the club, Kyohei Noborizato, leave at Fort Cerezo Osaka. And uh, Kazuya Yamamura and Taisei Miyashiro, I guess, are also uh, headline departures as well. So uh, beginning with the outs, some of them, obviously, you're already uh, well used to the news that they were on their way out of the club. But how much of uh, a hole do uh, some of them leave and how much of an impact uh, on the squad as a whole will uh, will losing these players be? Uh, it's a very good question and a very difficult question. I think sort of to go through them kind of one by one. I think it, Damian, I think probably would have gone the year before 
um, but got injured, I think, at the end of the season. So we were fully expecting him to go. And to be honest, in last last year, he did much better than the previous year. I think probably the stats completely uh, don't back that up. But certainly sort of from the feeling of how effective he was that last year, he seemed to be regaining some of his old form. But I think we all knew he was going to go. And especially with Gomez coming in, it seemed like we'd uh, brought the perfect <laughs> replacement, a player who's a few years older. <laughs> so, um, uh, Joanne Schmidt, I think we kind of, uh, it, it was, it, he should leave, for, he should have left for his own good, really, because he was he was always going to be behind Tachi Bernardo and Tachi Bernardo's the captain. And when Tachi Bernardo started playing well, it's kind of a waste of time to have Joanne Schmidt there just sitting on the bench and coming on for 10 minutes occasionally. I think Novori Zato was a big shock for everybody, but I guess he probably saw the writing on the wall with uh, a, a new signing in that position uh, and a couple of youngsters in the squad as well who who haven't quite um, made the, the spot their own yet. But um, I think it makes sense for him to go as well. People are sad about it, but I think for, to be sort of a really mercenary about it, I think we've probably got a better I have no idea because I haven't seen him play but I think perhaps we've upgraded in that department and he was becoming a little bit of a uh, weakness because of uh, injuries and just I guess drop off in uh, performance because of his age um Yamamura I I feel like uh he another person who another player who probably deserve to leave him and that's not the right <laughs> that's not quite what I mean but I mean that he it was the right thing for him to do if he I mean I'm not sure he expected to play 99% of his football with us in central defence when he signed for us and I just I mean it stings that he's gone to Marinos because of course we don't like them <laughs> um, but uh, I just hope that he doesn't have to play in defence I hope he can actually play somewhere where he is sort of more suited to playing uh, in his next season. Hopefully he won't do particularly well when he plays us. So, But Miyashiro was the one I think that was uh, probably most um, uh, said the most about the sort of the standard, the, the where the club is at the moment. Um, and I think I said halfway through last season that uh, if we are going to stick with Oniki and uh, and we're not going to sort of give him the boot halfway through last season I think we could see a few players leaving at the end of the year because I imagine that the players have similar amount of confidence in him as I do so (laughs) but then maybe not because everybody seems like I'm a real outlier when it comes to uh to my feelings on Oniki but um lovely guy apparently I think I always say this um (laughs) But perhaps not quite up to the job anymore. But yeah, Miyashiro going to Vissel Kobe. Um, when you consider that Vissel have got uh, Osako and Muto ahead of him, kind of in the same position. Mm. And I mean, I guess they're not they're not the youngest, but I mean, Muto's not that old, is he? I think so. It's like, I, I think Miyashiro thought he was never going to get played in his the position he wanted to play and wouldn't get sort of enough time. I think I feel like he was our top scorer last year. I know the stats, <laughs> the, the the facts don't bear that out, but 
most uh, I mean at least half of Wakizaka's goals probably were penalties so if you sort of consider that our top scorer last year didn't play that often like play I think he played like 2,500 minutes or something in the whole season which was significantly less than the people who were playing every week scored the most goals from open play and uh, was played out of position it's, it's sort of no surprise that I think that he wanted to move on but it, it's uh, it pains me slightly because it's another player who's fallen victim to the curse of my shirt or towel so um yeah another another shirt bites the dust <laughs> I, I think the issue that that must like really sting somewhat someone coming from the, the, the youth team and also i think the fact that he's he's an outlier because of the kind of main six departures i think he's the only one under 30 so i mean i guess there is some kind of logic to what they've do, done they've obviously shipped off a, a couple of the the higher earners and also kind of players who've Maybe the, the the best days are, are past, but I think quite interesting. A, a kind of common theme we've had maybe from from last night is players not on the out list that we thought might be. Because I I remember and Neil when we talked with with you after the the Emperor's Cup win, you, you mentioned that kind of like Yasto Wakizaka his comments had been interpreted by some fans as he might be off. And then I saw there was rumours of um, Dinamo Zagreb and. We'll get into the ins in a minute, but they've brought in a player who seems to kind of fit his profile as a sort of replacement for him. So was there any news or any update on that? Was there interest from overseas and he decided to stay or was was it all kind of blown out of proportion? Do you know anything else about that? I I don't, but I I imagine, yeah, the fact that we signed someone to replace him and he didn't (laughs) announce he was staying until quite late on makes me think that he was going to go, but something fell through for whatever reason, or maybe they said, give it six months more, go in the summer or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have any information. Um, but yeah, it, it, I guess to lose both of the top, the top two goal scorers in the season would have been mm. pretty bad. I just realised I didn't mention Yamane, did I? <laughs> Which is um, maybe many people would have said that's the biggest loss, perhaps. Um, but as far as I, as far as I'm concerned, sounds a bit harsh, but I think he he needed a new challenge and we needed someone else to play there because he was a, a constant selection, uh, automatic selection every week. And it, he did often look like he couldn't really be bothered on a few occasions last year. And I can understand it because he was playing pretty much every minute and... Yeah, I imagine maybe he just wants to go somewhere where he won't have quite as uh, demanding a schedule. But yeah, I think many people were shocked about Yamane, but um, perhaps that's another reason why we managed to keep hold of Wakizaka, because I think if we'd lost too many uh, big names, I think maybe uh, there would have been a a massive uh, panicking in the fan base. uh, Yeah, so I'm I'm sorry, I don't know anything that nobody else doesn't know i don't know anything that anybody else doesn't know you, you know what i mean anyway yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know yeah, anything yeah. i think could have just stopped it there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think their transfers in uh johnny uh, some of them especially certainly qualify as a uh, fascinating so uh, do you want to w- run through the the major ones as you see them and then uh, yeah maybe uh share your, your own thoughts and how you think they might fit in to oniki's system before uh, throwing it over to neil for his thoughts 
Well, yeah, yeah, I know uh, regular readers of, of Neil's blog will, will, and people who have listened to him on here will, will know a regular kind of complaint has been a, not signing defenders, particularly centre-backs. So they, they have brought in, um, like, uh, like yeah, Yamamura was a, was playing at centre-back, but he's not necessarily, that's not necessarily his best position. But they brought in uh, Yuji Maruyama from, from Nagoya, very, very experienced uh, player. So, so he should definitely help them out but back there. And hopefully if, if JCL stays fit, they've got a, a few more options at centre-back. And... Also, um, uh, Hajime Moriyasu's new favourite, Sota Miura, he's come in from, from Vampore Kofu, where he played one season. He only actually played half the, the league games, but he had a couple of injuries, um, and he played like half the, the ACL games. So he, he seems to be very highly rated, and I'm guessing he's going to go in his, his first choice left back. And then I've been practising this all day, Sai van Vermeskerken from NEC Nijmegen in, in Holland, and because yeah, before he came in again, he was came in quite quite late in the like quite late in the day. Um, there seemed to be an awful lot of players in the squad who could play right back, but who weren't actually right back. So you've now got a, a proper right back. So if he stays fit, I think that the replacement for Yamani is there. And then yeah, a lot of new players in in midfield. You've got I think Hinata Yamauchi is coming from from Toei in Yokohama. Um, which again, I think as, as Neil mentioned before, a lot of the Kawasaki squad, like the Tachibanada and Yamane before, that they've come in from from Toin and, and kind of played quite regularly from the start. And then a couple of Brazilians, uh, Zé Ricardo, um, mostly seems to have Serie B experience with a, a little bit of Serie A in the first half of 2023. And then Patrick Verhon, who seems to be a quite an inexperienced 19-year-old, he's only got five like, senior appearances in Serie A and Serie B. Um, and Renji Matsui has come back from Machida, where I believe you know, he played it right back for Kawasaki before, but he is a central midfielder and actually played at Machida. So where, where he goes, I'm not, not quite sure. Uh, Tim Miyagi's back from several loans in, in J2. And then I'm leaving him deliberately to the end of the midfield as uh, Yuki Yamamoto, who, if, if you haven't caught up, is the player I think Neil and I were suggesting is the, was more the Wakizaka replacement rather than, than actually to play alongside him. So... Yeah, I'm interested to see how, if he can work those two into the same midfield, because I, I have the feeling that a Wakizaka, Yamamoto and Ianaga in the starting lineup would be creatively brilliant, but very, very susceptible to counterattacks and kind of sustain pressure from, from opponents. And then the other one, who I'll, I'll turn it over to Neil after this, the, the forward, Edison, who's come in from Sao Paulo, I believe. Um, seems to have a couple of injury issues uh, in the past, but but looks from, from what I can see of his stats and his, his background as someone who could come in and, and be a, a very good starting centre forward for, for Kawasaki. So, yeah, a lot of names there, Neil. Uh, yeah, I think Kawasaki have a bit of a big name fetish there with, with Tachi Banada and Kami Fukumoto still there, and you've added another big one to, to mess up my, my depth chart. But <laughs> what, what have you made of all the, all the movements? Um, I think probably the fact that all the players who are coming in are sort of almost direct replacements for the players we've lost it mm. suggests that we're not going to be changing much this year because um basically brazilian striker leaves brazilian striker joins brazilian defensive midfielder leaves brazilian defensive midfielder join midfielder joins so i mean uh yeah right back leaves right back joins i know we have to replace uh you know, replace the players who leave, but it, it does seem like it's going to be sort of going with the same plan A again next year. I think uh, Edison, I think, is probably the one to watch, I think, because uh, I, I can't remember where I read it, but someone said that uh, he is has the potential to be like an absolutely amazing J-League player. And I think, like you said, uh, the injuries 
have been sort of playing on him quite a lot. I, th- I think he got quite emotional in an interview that he had that sort of his injuries had derailed his career recently and he he really sees this as his chance to sort of get back on track now. And he looks he looks pretty um pretty powerful, I think is the is a good way to say it. He doesn't look like he's gonna he doesn't look like he's gonna mess around. So but I guess I mean we probably were saying the same things when Gomez joined, so and he he hasn't still hasn't scored and he hasn't scored in preseason either, which is a bit, a bit worrying. But I guess I I don't know. You'll probably ask me about preseason later, so I've got some good facts about that one. Um, yeah, uh, Van Van Vermeersken is is exciting because he scored that blaster of a goal in the uh, in his last game before he left. But I was kind of checking, and he hadn't been with uh, Newmigan. New, I don't know how to pronounce that properly. He hadn't been with them for that long, and had kind of been in and out of the team before he left them. So I think. Uh, <laughs> He literally is a big name signing because <laughs> of the amount of letters. I mean, I'm sorry, I had to say that, but um, but I think I I mean I, I have high hopes for him, and I think it, it's good that we've got new options there or a new a new option who will presumably play every minute of every game now. Um, I think I kind of feel vaguely optimistic, perhaps. I don't know. I saw someone on um on Twitter saying, I think it was a Dutch J-League blogger saying that the person to watch would be um, Kanda, uh, Soma Kanda, who signed from Shizugaku High School and scored 12 goals in 12 games for them. I'm just reading my blog post now. Um, (laughs) But I think it's highly unlikely that he's going to play. I think last year, Njorgan came in with the similar kind of, uh, you know, high school wizard and he's played like 45 minutes of football and then has gone on loan to Sendai this year so I think the younger players I think are unlikely to play uh Patrick Verhon maybe is is kind of interesting he he has scored in pre-season which is uh which is nice because apart I mean one of my to drop one of my great stats our top scorer in pre-season joint top scorer so far is own goal so um <laughs> It's. I mean, we haven't had the greatest preseason, um, but uh, yeah, I think I don't know if these players are a reason to be optimistic, but they're certainly a reason to um, to make us look forward to the new season because at least there's like some different faces there finally. <laughs> Until Oniki starts the first game with almost exactly the same team as last year, probably. Well, I guess because obviously we have um, ACL in the first half of the season and the, the second half of the season in, in 38 league games this year. So you know, all those kind of foreign signings means you, you've now got seven foreign players in your book. So uh, from, from kind of my perspective, it looks like four of them will be will be kind of almost guaranteed starters, and then the other three might rotate the final place. But uh, I guess with that number of foreign players and also the kind of number of midfielders and, and Kind of you know, more defenders this year. It seems like the squad is is deeper to to deal with with any injuries that that may come up. But but like you say, it, it might depend on injuries and suspensions kind of cropping up, and then the players get a chance. But they definitely do seem, from a depth perspective, to be a bit better placed to deal with like competing in multiple fronts this year. I think. Yeah, hopefully, um, because that's always been our well, one of our big problems was just, especially in defence, that. Uh, once once one defender gets injured or sent off, 
everything starts falling to pieces because it, it was just like a domino rally basically last year of injuries and suspensions. Yeah, so depth is a good thing. Yeah, I whether whether the depth is used is another question, but hopefully hopefully we'll see some kind of slightly a bit a bit more rotation than we have in previous years next year. All right, then. So let's move on and uh, chat about the manager, uh, Neil's favourite, of course. Uh, Toru Oniki uh, begins his eighth season in charge and has led Frontale to seven major honours since uh, succeeding Yahiro Kazama. Of course, four league titles, two Emperor's Cups and a Levine Cup. And, uh, well, yeah, I think, Johnny, uh, Neil's uh, thoughts on Oniki and whether he's outstayed his welcome or not are, uh, yeah, very well known. So I'm a little bit surprised that he hasn't um, decided to maybe seek pastors new. Um, you know, there's uh, there's been gossip from time to time that he might be a, a potential future uh, Japan manager, or could he be the uh, the Japanese Ange Postacoglu, if you like, a, a, a Japanese manager that um, takes his chance overseas and maybe uh, opens up an avenue or, or two for other Japanese managers to uh, to be successful uh, abroad in, um, you know, more competitive leagues than maybe some who have uh, tried their luck before. So um, for, from your perspective, Johnny, uh, what more does Oniki have to do? Is it simply to take uh, Frontale uh, to the latter stages of the ACL and, and give them a proper chance to win that? Because that's really the, the only major honour that, that he hasn't um, uh, yeah, won for Frontale so far. So, um, yeah, I guess, w- what does the future hold for Toro Oniki, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's something I actually dwelled on in my, my notes. So the, the ACL, like you say, is the only competition he, he hasn't won. And I think you had a conversation a while back with, with Scott McIntyre when you were talking about Oniki potentially being a, a Japan manager. And he rightly pointed out Oniki's record in cup competitions, which he, he started to put right domestically. And also you know, get, getting through the ACL group, group stage. And if you were to take Fontali the, the whole way yet, uh, he probably could ride off to, to the sunset, having won everything he can with, with the club. Uh, a bit like you, I, I mean, I was slightly surprised at him stay, staying on uh, this year because, you know, we mentioned like Yamani's gone and Nobodizato's gone, that there were, were rumours of Wakizaka going. It, it's very much, it's, it's a different frontale from the frontale of a few years ago. And he, he's been there for, for so long. You, you just wonder, like, does he have the, does he have the ideas, that does he have the kind of, the strength and desire to, to really go through a, another rebuild. It, it seems like he does, or you know, he's hanging around for, for 2026 for Mr. Moriyasu to vacate the, the national team uh, um, national team chair. Um, I think, yeah, I know Neil often talks about kind of negative things, but I think he does. I think deep down he does actually respect Mr. Oniki, and he does have a, he still has a very good reputation throughout the league from from other teams and. Yeah, if he were to leave Frontale, there would definitely be, be offers in in Japan and I think overseas too. But I mean, I, I don't know. Neil, does he does he speak any English or does he speak any other languages or is that is that kept quite close to his chest? Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if he needs a teacher, it would be an interesting <laughs> student. <laughs> um, I think I this is uh, pure speculation. I would imagine. That he doesn't speak English because um, I think uh, he when we had a fan event, this is an extremely tenuous connection here. We had a fan event and uh, the a band played at the fan event and Oniki said that was the first concert he'd ever been to. And that makes me think that he's not the kind of person who's uh, 
going on uh, sort of adventurous holidays and uh, learning new languages. Um, and also with that, uh, with another thing that might keep him in Japan is he's just adopted two dogs. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, read into that what you want. Um, I think, yeah, I, I should give him a break, really, because, um, yeah, he's done great things for the club. And you're right. I do kind of I, I value his uh, he, what he's done for us with he's the only person who's ever won anything for us. The thing that slightly concerns me always is the fact that that he he recently has talked about changing things, but that doesn't actually happen really. I think at the start of last year he had a an exciting new tactic where Yamane was gonna go into uh, like central midfield to start building attacks and it didn't work at all. It was a disaster to move out one of our most attacking players out of the area where he plays best. Uh, and it was abandoned after about five games. And I think this is, I mean, this might have been just uh, one of my extremely interesting dreams. And of course, everybody knows that there's nothing more interesting than hearing people talk about their dreams. Um, but I heard, or I read somewhere that uh, he was having a, he has a, a major uh, tactical change in mind for this year. Um, but, I mean, this this is what makes me think it's true because it just would be too perfect to have in a dream otherwise. He said he's got this great new tactical idea, but the ACL is probably a little bit too early to introduce it. So he's going to leave it till after the ACL. And I just thought it does sound kind of ridiculous. So I thought either that is uh that was what was actually said or it was uh i'd just give myself a pat on the back for just such a um uh, a perfectly satirical dream <laughs> but um yeah so i'm really i'm really in the minority i do this end of season um survey uh which is usually what well, used to be just frontale fans answering but recently uh a few opposition fans have joined in as well and um i think I'm the only person who is kind of negative about Oniki. People are people have talked about how he's the goat. People have talked about how he's a legend. People have talked about how he's a nice guy. And I mean, maybe these things are true. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's definitely some massively rose-tinted spectacles from a lot of Frontale fans when we we don't really look at what's happening uh, on the pitch. It's just like, oh fantastic our boys did really good we tried so hard and we were just unlucky and it's just unlucky that we just played the same formation and the same players and the same tactics and sooner or later maybe in the 10th or 11th game that we do it perhaps we will perhaps it will come good so um i think i'm i'm too harsh definitely and i'm un- un- ungrateful so and so but i think as with most things the truth lies somewhere in the middle and I think certainly people who think he's he should stay forever and should never leave the club are as um, as disillusioned as I and disillusioned as um, as uh, mis, misguided misguided as I am when I say that he should uh, get out immediately. So yeah, I think it's another big year for him as we've had a few of them recently in the past. Our years it was like two titles failure year two titles failure year another failure year worse than all the other failure years so yeah he's gonna he's gonna have to earn his money this year and 
I hope he does. I want him to start with these exciting new tactics, this wonderful new approach. And yeah, but it maybe maybe wouldn't be a bad idea to try and start that for the ACL game, you know, just just saying. But yeah, we'll we'll see. So. All right, then. Yeah, we shall see indeed. And uh, whether your dream comes true or not, Neil, we'll uh, we'll find out, I guess. And uh, yeah, let's uh, move on then. We've uh, we've got uh, ones to watch to cover before we uh, chat about our thoughts about uh, Frontale's prospects as a whole in 2024. So uh, one to watch. I'll go first if you guys don't mind. Uh, Sam's not here. So uh, should I say... Ryota Oshima for uh, old time's sake. Um, I'm tempted to, but uh, instead I'll uh, I'll go for Marcinho, who uh, only featured uh, 20 times in the league last year due to injuries and uh, scored only once, though uh, painfully for me, it was the only goal of the game in the uh, Todoroki Classico. But uh, yeah, hopefully if he can stay fit, he'll come close to matching his uh, brilliant 12-goal campaign in 2022 and um yeah well he certainly had a great connection going with uh, Leandro Damiao I'm sure he's uh, relishing the uh, the prospects of playing with uh, Edison and uh, indeed his uh, his fellow new Brazilians so um Neil why don't you go next who's your one to watch who are you most looking forward to watching this year I guess it's a kind of predictable answer perhaps but I think I would probably say Edison because we need goals and Hopefully he'll be the person who can bring us goals uh, and excitement. Uh, yeah, so it, it's. I, I don't think the young players will will really be involved. Uh, so I think for me it's Edison. All right, and who have you gone for, Johnny? Well, luckily I guess Neil would possibly go for for Edison. So I, I, I've gone for a backup who is the I mentioned him earlier, the left back uh, Sota Miura. And just looking at my old, my old Maycan, and I'm really glad the, the new one comes out on Thursday and it stops me having to trail through like J2 to find players' details. But he was actually an FC Tokyo under-15 player, which I just found out there. But uh, I think uh, getting into getting into the national team as a um, like as a J2 player, I know he was moving to Frontale this year. Like that's that's no mean feat. So he's obviously very very highly highly thought of, and with with nobody's at all moving on, and Sasaki not really seeming to live up to his, his early promise and early hype. Um, and I think um, Kurumaya is kind of more a centre-back these days and also got picked up an injury. So I think he should go in and start right from the beginning. And yeah, there's a lot of, lot of weight on his shoulders coming into a team like Frontale. I know they had a, a poor season last year, but with all the, the recent trophies and titles, you know, going from J2 to starting regularly at a team that should be challenging at the top of J1 is a, a big ask for him. But, you know, if he, if he steps into those big boots early, I think that'll be a, you know, a big fill-up for, for Frontelli at the back and add a bit of depth there. So, yeah, I, I definitely second Neil's choice for, for Edison. I think along with um, with Kavrich at Kashima and Vitor Bueno at Cerezo, who we've, we've already discussed, I think that those three players, I think the new foreign players into the league, that they're the ones definitely to watch. Um, and I'd also mention Yuki Yamamoto from, from Gamba, but, but Sota Miura is my, my choice. Fair enough then. And yeah, I don't blame you going for the new left back rather than the the new right back. So you didn't have to say Van Vermeskirken uh, a couple more times. So yeah, don't blame you at all there, Johnny. But uh, yeah, Miura, a very interesting uh, new addition to the squad. No question. All right then. So uh, Frontale's overall prospects for 2024 then. As we've said, they slipped from second to eighth, but they're uh, still going uh, on this uh, impre- uh, this ACL rather campaign 
and um, uh, Frontale certainly don't have a great record in this competition, but uh, yeah, maybe this is the season. Uh, for me, I don't see them finishing as low as eighth again. Um, I think they'll be back inside the top six, but a lot will depend on, uh, yeah, as I said, with my one to watch, Marcinho bouncing back to full fitness and, um, yeah, gelling with his uh, his new Brazilian teammates, perhaps. Um, and also, yes, the impact that a deep run that I expect them to make into the, uh, the latter stages of this uh, incarnation of the ACL, uh, combined with how they'll manage uh, the next one starting up uh, late in the uh, in this year, uh, could uh, obviously play uh, any, uh, a role in how they fe- uh, feature in the league and where they finish. So that's um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm as I said inside the top six. If Richie's asking for a top four again for the J Pred, yeah, I think they might just sneak into mine. Uh, but again, haven't nailed that down yet. Uh, Johnny, give your thoughts, please, and then throw it to our guest for uh, him to have the final word. Yeah, I'm actually very, very similar to you, to you, Ben. Um, it seems a bit odd to call Frontali a dark horse, but that's kind of what they are this year. I think I've already said that I think at the moment Vissel, Sanfrecci and Urawa seem like the, the, the most likely ones to challenge for the title. But just behind that, I think you've got Kawasaki are in there. There is more depth there. And yeah, if, if Edison hits the ground running, if he gets goals, then there's a, there's a striker for them to play around. Marcinho stays fit and they managed to get Yamamoto and Wakizaka working together, then why can't they challenge? But as you've said, that there are challenges, you know, with, with other competitions um, and also, you know, working all those players into a coherent unit. Um, so, yeah, I think Kawasaki de- definitely to finish higher in a, a few places, higher than, than eighth, but I don't have them, you know, ending their title, let's put in inverted commas, drought this year, but it should be much better than last season, I think. What about yourself, Neil? Um, well, pre-season, I know pre-season games are kind of irrelevant, but it does to a certain extent, but pre-season we've lost to J3 Ryukyu, we've lost to Machida, we beat Torsu 4-3, uh, we drew with Consadole and we drew with Okinawa SV JFL team, <laughs> or maybe even lower than JFL, I'm not sure. So, um, basically I think we can... It's going to go one or one or two ways. I think if we get a good start and things kind of gel, we can. I think we can have a good year. But I think equally likely is uh, an, another hugely disappointing and, and probably quite mediocre season. But I don't know. Just as long as uh, our uh, star striker own goal can keep up his uh, <laughs> early year form, we should be okay, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, Frontale obviously uh, very busy before the uh, the rest of the league kicks off. Yeah, as we've said, they uh, they travel to China on uh, Tuesday night, i.e. the uh, the day this podcast will be released for the first leg of the round of 16 of the ACL. Uh, then on Saturday, they play the Super Cup against Kobe at the National Stadium uh, before the return leg against uh, Shandong next Tuesday with the uh, the league obviously uh, kicking off uh, the weekend after that. So, um, yes, no uh, no rest for the wicked, Neil. You're straight back into it. And, uh, yeah, we wish you all the best in the ACL and, indeed, in the uh, the Super Cup before everything gets going uh, in uh, match day one. And we look forward to catching up with you throughout the season. I'm sure Frontale will be, um, yeah, no offence, a bit more relevant than they were last year. So we, we hope to speak to you, uh, yeah, uh, much more than we did in 2023 uh, throughout this calendar year. So, uh, that, yeah, once again, good luck for the games ahead and thanks again for joining us. 
Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, the three blog posts in eight days coming up. I'm not really looking forward to that, but um, <laughs> ho- hopefully there'll be something to be sort of positive about. Yes, fingers crossed for you, Neil. Thanks very much. All right, yeah, thanks again to Neil Debdom. After a quick hit of music, Johnny and I will chat about Seanan Belmare. All right, thanks again to Neil. Uh, let's head down to the coast, Johnny, for uh, our next club to preview. Of course, it's uh, Seanan Belmare, the club located closest to where I reside. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the one game I know I can get out for uh, every year is uh, FC Tokyo away at uh, Seanan, as long as the Seanan stay in, uh, in J1. Of course, and well, with the Tokyo's recent struggles, I guess that's an issue for uh, for the gas men as well. But um, yeah, they've definitely had a number of uh, close shaves uh, over the uh, the past few years. Have Shonan, and uh, 2023 was uh, no exception. They finished a 15th, a fall of three spots in their sixth straight year in the top flight, meaning that this year they'll set a club record for consecutive seasons in J1. They tore out of the gates with that Yuki Ohashi-inspired 5-1 win at Tosu in match day one that we mentioned in our previous episode. But uh, by match day eight, they were out of the top half for good. Uh, of course, they began the second half of the year with a uh, 6-0 humiliation at home by uh, Tosu that sent them bottom, where they then stayed for 11 consecutive rounds before a remarkable end of the season in which they won four in a five-game unbeaten run uh, before when they were already safe. Uh, they lost at home to FC Tokyo on the final day. Uh, their 40 goals for was, uh, well, just about middling in the league, but of course highlighted by Yuki Ohashi's 13 and uh, the dearly departed Shuto Machino, who got to 9 in 19 before leaving in uh, mid-season. Uh, nobody else in the squad scored more than three last season. Uh, their 56 goals against was fourth worst in the league. Uh, they didn't make it through the group stage of the Levain Cup, but uh, they made the quarterfinals of the Emperor's Cup, losing to Fukuoka. So as I said, Johnny, they've led a uh, a charmed life in this run in the top flight. Uh, They survived in the promotion relegation playoff in 2019. They finished bottom in the no relegation COVID season of 2020. And for a long time, it looked like they were doomed last year before somehow pulling themselves out of the muck. Yes, it's not it's not an easy life being a Shonan Bel- Belmari supporter. So it, it definitely looked at, at times like the, the, they were they were going down. And yeah, I remember that the start of last season we were joking because you and Sam had them safe and I had them, them well, I had them third bottom and got going down. But yeah, they only they only avoided third bottom and goal difference. So the, the length of Gentamura's big big toe in the last day of the season, his own goal against Vissel Kobe, has stopped me from picking up some serious J Bread points. But you know, j- j- joking aside, I think you know, Shonan are on our team, like what we talked about Sagan Tosa in, in the previous pod. You know, they're not they're not one of the big boys. That they tend to, especially in that kind of Kanagawa Kanto area, they're, they're ripe for the picking for for any players that emerge to to depart. So, yeah, as you say, but Machino, I think was kind of expected after being in the World Cup squad. They kind of thought he he would go. So. Getting nine goals out of him before he went, I think was was par for the course. And then, you know, Hashi really stood up, came from nowhere. And yeah, I guess it's probably not too much of a surprise he's moved on. 
um, after his goal-scoring exploits. But what was quite interesting for me about Shonan last season is, you know, throughout most of their run in, in J1, that this run, they've generally been quite solid defensively, a lot of players behind the ball, and mm. goal-scoring has always been an issue. Whereas for a long time last season, actually, their attacking was quite strong. They were creating a lot of chances. They were scoring goals. But that just left left them wide open at the back, and then you know that 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 run at the end, you know, five wins in their, their last eight, they kind of reverted to type. I think eight goals for and five goals against. So, you know, with with the new season, a, a couple of new new teams in it. I'm interested to see, you know, the, the strikers have gone. Are they going to revert to type and go back to a kind of hard to beat defensive unit, or is you know Yamaguchi going to going to continue? with what he started last season, getting young players into the team and trying to play a more enticing, attacking brand of football this season. Yes, we shall see. Um, moving on to their uh, activity in the market. Yes, of course, uh, as expected, I suppose, at the end of the season, uh, a breakout season for Yuki Ohashi. He has uh, left the club, as Johnny mentioned. And uh, yes, we've already spoken about his move to Hiroshima and um, yeah, the impact he might have there. Um uh, a player that I neglected to mention in uh, Urawa's inns last week, but uh, Ralph uh, certainly was interested in uh, his arrival, was the Hirokazu Ishihara, who um, yeah is a very uh, versatile defender, and it looks like um, yeah not only uh, challenging Hiroki Sakai for his uh, right back spot, but yeah might be able to fill in uh, on the uh, the left side of the defence, uh, as we mentioned uh, last week with Reds losing a couple of players. To Europe, while um, Tariq El Yanusi, Johnny, for whom it just never really worked out uh, for in his uh, time at the club, um, always a, a hard worker, but never really able to uh, to produce the numbers that I guess uh, Seanan and their supporters would have uh, hoped for from him. He has uh, been released. So yeah, we we already know about Ohashi uh, and how important he was to uh, to to Shonan. but uh, yeah Ishihara I guess is one of those kind of under the radar sort of uh, transfers where I'm sure Yamaguchi will uh, will will feel the impact of his departure but uh, it's one the supporters might not necessarily uh, feel too hard done by about but yeah they they could definitely feel the effects of um I think throughout the season as Ishihara uh, was certainly was an uh, important player for uh, the the way Shonan defend Yes, it's definitely been a bit of a bit of a hotline between Shonan and, and Urawa in both directions in, in recent years. So Wataru Endo being been one of the most famous examples of players moving moving from the Shonan coast up to Urawa. And you know, Ishihara, you know, he he came through the ranks. He was in the Shonan youth player, and then I think he had a loan spell at, at Fukuoka. And then he he proved to be a you know a very vital cog in in the machine. He was able to play both sides at wing back, and he even played at centre back for for a time as well. Um, I think he did kind of, I mean, I, I don't know how early this deal was, was done, but he, he kind of lost his starting spot towards the back end of the season. I mean, obviously, wing, wing back is the, the strong suit of Shonan. They, they tend to have a few good good players there every year. So he was more of a bench option towards the end. But yeah, as, as Shonan, a bit like we've mentioned, teams like, like, like Kyoto or like Sagan Tosu, they, they don't necessarily have all the players that can just come in and play like 35, 38 games a season at a high level. They do have to kind of rotate to, to give players a chance to, to recuperate. So losing someone of Ishihara's you know experience and someone who knows the club like, like he does will, will be a, a bit of a loss. But you know I guess the, the kind of main positive here is besides him in, in Ohashi, Tariq is the only kind of 
real what, player that played regularly last season that, that, that's gone. And yeah, that, like you say, Tariq, he always, whenever I saw him playing, he always looked like a good footballer. Like he had the movements, he had the touch, but yeah, it just didn't didn't really happen, did it? And I think you know, Shonan, if not had a brilliant record in recent years with, with, with foreign players. And so I'm glad he, he did stick it out. He didn't just like kind of jack it after after half a season or that, so he, he stuck it out, but unfortunately did, just didn't click. But overall, I think Ohashi is a bit of a blow, but to only lose three kind of regular players from last year, I think Shonan fans can be, can be reasonably contented with the departures list. Yeah, yeah, I concur. Um, they certainly haven't... Uh... Yeah, pulled up too many trees with their, their transfers in. But again, I mean, they do have definitely one of the smaller budgets in the league. So they're, um, yeah, they're not able to uh, really spl- uh, splash the cash and um, get to too outlandish in their signings. But um, yeah, they have brought Lukian in from Fukuoka. We talked about his departure from uh, Fukuoka in the uh, the last episode, of course, while uh, Kohei Okuno and uh, Kim Minte's uh, loans have been uh, turned in to uh, to permanent deals. So uh, Yamaguchi will be glad to have them back at the club, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I guess for uh, for the coach, Johnny, the, uh, the, next, um, the next mission is, yeah, trying to find the next Ohashi. Um I, I don't necessarily think they've uh, they've brought in any candidates for for that role in this uh, transfer window but um as we said yeah it, it's been fairly slim pickings but um he'll hope that he's he's got some reinforcements in to uh, to strengthen the squad overall. As a as a quick disclaimer that there's one player I want to talk about my my one to watch so I'm not going to not going to mention a forward who who might might be the person to step into Ohashi's shoes. Okay. <laughs> Coming back to the, the the transfers, um, yeah, I think as I said to you in the in the green room, the, the Shonan didn't do an awful lot in the winter, but they did do quite a lot, obviously, last summer in a desperate attempt to to retain the, the J1 status. So yeah, you know, uh, the the bald eagle Akira Silvano De Saro, he he came in last summer and then he looked there was you know slight a look as if he could have formed a decent partnership with Yuki Ohashi, but he very quickly got injured and missed the rest of the season. But he's still there, and then Satoshi Tanaka came back from a you know, not not too great loan spell in, in Belgium, and yeah, he had ups and downs. But hopefully this season he'll get back to where he was before. And like you just pointed out, Kim Minte he signed permanently. I think he was a very good addition. Really helped strengthen them at the back in that that middle centre back position. So yeah, they all came in, and um, Sho Fukuda came in as well from from J3 as the Yuya Fukuda Gamba Osaka players. A younger brother. Um, I'm not sure if he's maybe jumped up a, a league too much, but he's a you know he's a, he's a very dynamic player. He he might be someone even if he chips in two or three goals, it, it could be could be vital. Lukian, you know, if if like I, I kind of suggested that if Shonan go a bit more attacking this season as he did at the start of last year, he may find himself getting a few more chances than he did at, at Fukuoka. And if he can build up a head of steam, who 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 knows? He could be the player to hit hit double figures. Um, I think you know, there's actually there's two or three other players that I just wanted to quickly mention. Uh, Yuto Suzuki's come in from, from Jubilo Iwata, and we'll mention it's quite a big loss for Jubilo. We'll talk about that ne- next week. But again, with, with Ishihara moving on, that really helps to keep those those wing-back positions quite, quite strong. You've got Suzuki in one flank, Taigahata probably on another flank. That's, a, that's an area of strength for, for Shonan. And then Naoya Takahashi's come in from, from Kansai University. 
Obviously, Yamaguchi's got strong Gamba connections. He was there with the, the under-23s and assistant manager to, to Miyamoto. So he knows Takahashi. He played a bit in J3 for, for Gamba's under-23s before going to university. Can play as a holding midfielder in the centre-back. So I think he's he's a university player who'll probably see some, some decent game time this year. Uh, he played a couple of games last year as well. Didn't go too well, but keep, keep your eye on him. And maybe yeah, another player... I'm not sure how much he'll play this year, but there's a young forward from the youth team, uh, Hisatsugu Ishii, who made a few sub-appearances last year. And he's I've heard things about him. I've never, I haven't actually seen him play, the disclaimer alert, but I've, I've heard a few things through the grapevine that there's kind of things expected of him. How much he makes a, a kind of quick impact or how much that's exaggerated remains to be seen. But of players moving up from the youth team to, to the top team, I think he's someone to maybe keep your, your eyes peeled on. But... Overall, not not tons to be excited about from the, the winter moves, but if you combine it with what they did at the, the, the end of last summer, yeah, there's been a bit of a bit of an overhaul, and you know, there's enough solidity there, I think, to, to give Shonan a fighting chance this year. All right, then uh, let's move on and talk about the manager, Johnny. Uh, Satoshi Yamaguchi begins his third full season in charge after taking over late in the 2021 campaign. Uh, finishes of 12th and 15th for him in charge of uh, Belmare. Uh, almost the same, uh, almost a mirror image of uh, Kenta Kawai from the uh, the previous episode. Uh, Shonan have finished a place below Tosu in each of the uh, the last Two seasons. So, uh, yes, a definitely a challenge for uh, Yamaguchi this year with um, the well, the amount of time that Sean spent in the in the bottom three and indeed at the foot of the table last year. I mean, he deserves credit for hauling them out towards the end of the year. But uh, as we've just spoken about, you know, they haven't done an awful lot to to reinforce in the winter. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a test for him. And I'm sure he, he wouldn't be uh, and under any uh, illusions that it'll be, uh, yeah, any any easier this season than than what it was in 2023. So he'll be steeled for a, um, yeah, a tough campaign, I'm sure. But uh, again, um, he's proven over the last couple of years that um, yeah, when uh, when Sean uh, have really needed to dig in and and uh, and get some results, that uh, yeah, he's been able to set his team up uh, and be able to do just that. Yes, yeah, it's kind of hard to know how how safe his job is, but I, I get the feeling that Yamaguchi and, and Kenta Kawai are probably kind of kindred spirits. Uh, I don't know if they said too much to each other after the games last year, given the the absolute whippings they, they dished out each other's place. But I get the feeling if those kind of league-wide managers meetings, they've probably quite a lot to talk about and quite a lot in common. Um, yeah, I think he came in at the back end of 2021 and he, he kept him in the league then. So that's like kind of t- two out of the three years he's been involved in real relegation battles. So he's he's battle-hardened. Um, you know, he, he he's obviously he's gone back to, to Gamba a bit for, for players he knows, like Okuno's come in and he's got like Kosuke Onose and, and Takahashi, you know, from the youth. Um, uh, he is a de- he's a defender by by trade, so you would naturally think he would go a bit more a bit more defensive. But he has at times shown a bit more uh, attacking flair and a, a bit of flexibility, to, depending on on the situation. So yeah, part of him would like to see him kind of take the handbrake off a bit and, and ha- have a proper goal. But I think the way this season is, is shaping up, even with the the extra couple of teams, he he might go back into kind of pragmatic shell and kind of try to, to, to rely on a solid defence or kind of rotate the players and make sure everyone's playing to, to a high level. 
Um, yeah, he, he was he was highly thought of at, at, at Gamba, but I'm glad he's going to kind of spread his wings. Uh, he doesn't seem to get the credit that, that Kawhi gets, um, but you know people like Ohashi's de- developed under him, and there's a, f- a few kind of younger players like like Hiroka, um, Ishihara's moving on on to new things. So yeah, I mean I'm sure he does have a decent decent image in the game, even if he's not really seen as being particularly cool or stylish or, or a manager on the up. So. Yeah, but with the Gamba connection, I like I like to see him doing well. Um, if yeah, I get the feeling if Shonan are in, are in trouble, kind of midway through the season, they might make a, a coaching change. But yeah, I, I struggle to see him getting someone much better, yeah, other than a kind of firefighter coach. But yeah, I, mm. I'm kind of rambling off off topic here. I, I like Yamaguchi, and I think you'll have them organised and set up. Whether that's enough to overcome the kind of financial hurdles versus the the rivals remains to be seen. But yeah, a pretty good coach in my book. I agree. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that they, uh, they stuck with him through the the difficult period last year, I mean, uh, a more cynical person could say that, yeah, they just didn't want to pay out his uh, contract and and get rid of him. But uh, on the other hand, yeah, they stuck with him and um, that decision bore fruit, as we said, with that, uh, terrific end to the season and that uh, preserved their, uh, their their top flight status so yeah a lot of credit goes to uh, to satoshi yamaguchi and um yeah well can he unearth the new yuki ohashi johnny as we move on to our one to watch and uh, of course you sent me your depth chart before we uh, we hit record on shonan so i'm well aware of a certain player that you haven't mentioned yet and i fear that for the first time in our previews we might have the same one to watch. So I could suggest we play uh, Junkin virtually, but I'll do the noble thing and let you go first because I think you probably do a much better job of explaining to the listeners why Akito Suzuki is the one to watch for Shonan this year than I could. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to go for Hiroka because Suzuki's not actually my starting eleven, but I think he could very well he could very well break in. Uh, he's been He's, he's from Osaka. He's been, been very highly rated since his, his high school days. I think he did well at the, the you know, All Japan Championship when he was in his, his final grade. And I think that last year he showed he showed glimpses of what he's what he's all about. He scored against Marinos. He scored against Kashima. He scored against Cerezo. The, the latter two of those goals were very very impressive uh, strikes. I think especially the one against Kashima was a good strike. And the goal against Cerezo was absolutely crucial. Um, a win away from home to to really help them escape from the from the drop zone, um, yeah, but with the kind of injury disposition of, of Desaro and question marks over whether Lukian will be able to, to get goals, I think you know Suzuki is someone. He's been around for a couple of years in the squad. He's played with Machino. He's played with um, with Ohashi. He's hopefully learned a bit. I, I don't expect him to come in and start 30 plus games, but you know if he could if he could start 15 games, get 15 sub appearances, score seven or eight goals. I think that would be, be absolutely crucial, and the, the other forwards, because there are about four or five other players who can all chip in, like two, two or three goals. I, I think if Suzuki, you know, gets into that kind of seven, eight, nine, if you're going to double figures, absolute dreamland. If he was to, to score that that amount of goals and the others play around him, I think, um, yeah, they could have a bit of a gem on on their hands here. But, but very, very good player. I'm almost tempted to give him the, the kind of league wide um, status, but I'm not not going to go that far. Mm. And I hope you've got someone up your sleeve, Ben, to 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 go for for your your one to to watch. So have you got have you got a backup to Suzuki? I didn't have one prepared, but I mean, yeah, Tayo Hiroka is um, yeah, obviously an interesting player for them as well in uh, as part of their 
midfield and attack. And uh, yeah, uh, again, with so many goals out of the team, um, with the, with Ohashi departing, then yeah, a number of players are going to have to chip in. And um, yeah, while Suzuki was mine, yeah, Hiroka is a much more experienced and um, established part of, of the team. So yeah, f- uh, for Yamaguchi, a lot more rests on his shoulders than uh, than Suzuki or any of the other uh, younger midfielders and uh, forwards coming through the ranks. So hopefully he can uh, and re- yeah really kick on and uh, yeah really uh, pay, uh, play his part in keeping Shonan in J1 which is yeah their well I guess it's their target at the start of every season Johnny and uh, yeah that uh, it'll be uh, even more of a focus this year considering how much time they spent down uh, in the bottom three in 2023 so as we uh, begin to wrap them up the, uh, there's a question from uh, from Sam Robson Belmare have flirted with J2 for years now with the three teams going down and no playoff to save them is this the year they finally take the plunge um I don't know. Take the plunge is something you you do um, voluntarily, isn't it, Johnny? But I don't know if Sam sl- <laughs> Sam slightly um, yeah misworded his question there. But I think you know we know what he means. Yeah, is this the 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 year they finally? Uh, well, I said with the with Tosu, is this the year that, that the clock strikes midnight? I don't know. They've uh, they've Sam's right to say they've been so lucky uh, so many times over the years. And yeah, well, is this the year the luck runs out? Um, I, I teased it in the, the previous pod talking about Sagan Tosu that I was going to bring them up again here. I think either Shonan or Sagan, at least one of those teams will go down this year. That, that, that's my my pick. I, I think I can't see them both surviving. There's always the, there's always the potential for like a, a surprise team to be be dragged into the dogfight, but I think between the the, the promoted teams we have. Um, yeah, and then you've got Shonan and Tosu where they are. I think at least one of those two will go down. Uh, as likable as those teams are and as many good kind of young players as they've got in the team. And, and I had Hiroka actually as my, my backup to Suzuki if you'd chosen him first. So I think we we covered with exactly the same players, which might also be kind of interpreted as there's not too many exciting players to look at in the squad. But yeah, I think Shonan, like, I could basically repeat what I said about Sagan Tosu. If there'll be in quite a few J-Preds, if, if they don't go down, I don't see them being outside the bottom kind of five or six. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a tough season at, at Shonan. Um, it might require some, some more summer strengthening to, to keep them in the division. What about you, Ben? Well, yeah, I obviously hope that they can stay up again, Johnny. Um, I'll be I'll be getting along to the Lemon Gas Stadium for the FC Tokyo away game uh, this year, as I uh, as I do uh, each and every year. So hopefully uh, they can, well, both clubs stay up uh, this year, and uh, that I can continue to go along and, and watch them, uh, watch my team play away at, at Shonan. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really tough ask for for Yamaguchi and this squad to do it. But um, well, yeah, I mean the way they uh, they hold themselves out of trouble at the end of last year was uh, was a, a huge surprise. Uh, obviously, I'm not suggesting they can just uh, pick up uh, that momentum where they left off at the end of last season, but they know that, um, yeah, they're, they're capable uh, of 
good displays and um, and hopefully they'll be able to string enough of them together to to stick around. Um, as to whether I'll have them in my uh, the bottom three of my JPRED, well, yeah, I think the wishful thinking factor will probably mean that I won't. But, yeah, I fully expect them to be down in and around the bottom six. And obviously, yeah, the, the, the chips will fall where they may uh, with those clubs. Uh, yeah, when all is said and done. All right, then. So uh, we'll leave it there. For Shonan, uh, when we return after a quick hit of music, Stuart Woodward will join us to chat about Yokohama F Marinos. Welcome back. And the third and the final Kanagawa Club we'll preview on this episode of the podcast is Yokohama F Marinos. And to do that, it's our great pleasure to welcome Stuart Woodward back to the podcast. Stuart, how are you? Oh, very well. Thank you very much. Great to have you back with us, Stuart. I'm sure you're looking forward to the new season. Uh, we'll uh, we'll just briefly uh, bring the listeners up to speed with what happened uh, with the F Marinos in 2023. Of course, they ran Kobe almost all of the way in their attempt to retain their J1 title. Uh, they were two points behind with two games to play, but were then held to a uh, frustrating stalemate by Niigata in their final home game of the season. And then with the title gone, uh, Kobe having sealed it uh, with uh, their victory in match day 33, uh, F Marinos lost at Kyoto on the final day, eventually finishing seven points adrift of Vissel. Uh, they were in the top six for the entire season season uh, went top for the first time in the final game of the first half of the year and spent a total of six weeks at the summit. Uh, they were the league's top scorers with 63 goals for uh, powered, of course, by their Brazilian trio of uh, joint golden boot winner Anderson Lopez, who netted a uh, 22 times and uh, Elber and Jan Mateus, who scored nine and six times, respectively, both of them also chipping in a number of assists. But uh, yeah, their 40 goals against was only good for joint seventh best in the league. They also made it through to the round of 16 of the Asian Champions League, and there they will face Bangkok United away in the first leg this Wednesday. Uh, also, of course, making news at the end of the season, Stuart, with uh, yeah, the the news that Kevin Muscat was uh, resigning as coach and has since moved on to a club in China, but that's uh, none of our business now. But uh, yeah, the overall season as a whole, and uh, well, yeah, I guess top, with the Muscat's departure topping it off, uh, how do you look back on, on 2023? With some fondness, or was it a, a real missed opportunity to uh, to go back to back in the league do you think well it was a it was a good year like the only bad thing in the end was um obviously kobe scored more points than us and we came in second so if we if we look if we you know look at the look back the pro- probably the uh, the 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 turning point was the match against uh, kobe because if we if we'd won that we might have just scraped scraped through at the at the very end, and I was, I was actually looking back at the um, the stats, and I, I'm not sure if I can remember it all correctly now. It's quite quite complicated, but um, I was looking, and I thought, gosh, we we lost a lot of points against the the teams in the in the bottom half of the of the table in in the end. And mm-hmm. when I look back, we we seem to like almost won all the matches at home against the bottom of the table. And then lost all of the matches away against the the, mm. the bottom of the table. I'm not sure 
if that if that means if it means anything. But I thought it was kind of kind of an interesting um, way to look at it because we did do do quite well against the the uh, the stronger stronger teams. So the you know there were some you know notable you know kind of low lights of the year, um, especially the uh, um, Yokohama FC. Um, away that was mm. that was a, a definite low light of the year we could have done with those points and um fc didn't need the points anyway in the in the end and um also like uh, i think uh, niigata um did very well against us this year i think we lost away to niigata and they drew at home and the reason i bring those two teams up because they both had staff who previously um worked in uh, in the Marinos. So I wonder if they know the kind of the way that we play um, at a deeper level than other other teams and we're able to use that um, against uh, against us. But uh, um, since uh, I believe uh, Mr. Hutchinson is coming back from uh, Yokohama FC to Marinos, that would be um, you know, like a, a good uh, addition to um, the, the coaching team to take away. So um, yeah, I enjoyed the year. I had a had a great time um, following the club, but it just kind of petered out towards the very end. And uh, I think everybody had uh, had enough by by the Kyoto match. The the team had had enough. Kevin was on his way out. Um, all the fans had bought their tickets early to uh, to go to Kyoto because it might have been down to the very last uh, um, match when when the Kyoto. T- uh, tickets went on sale so mm. um, people snapped up the tickets and then people cancelled it didn't go so I think quite a lot of fans had got you know maybe two tickets in their pocket that uh, they uh, they didn't need so um, it was a, a little bit of a like a like a final um, you know let let down but uh, you know we still had a great time in in Kyoto anyway. I didn't watch McMarinos as, as much as, as you did, Stuart. But kind of from from the outside, it, it looked like it was a bit of a, a kind of split in the team in terms of the the attack was really really good. That that Brazilian trio they seemed to, uh, especially that Lopez played every game and, and the others it was it was every week it was the same three players terrorising good defences and and bad defences and, and they really seemed to hold up the title charge. Whereas obviously you had so many problems at the back with, with injuries and. Sort of constantly having to chop and change fullbacks and centre backs, and that, that that really seemed to hurt Marinos a lot. I know Ben mentioned I think it was the, the seventh worst, um, so it's his seventh best uh, the defensive record in terms of goals conceded, but the the expected goals was actually quite bad. It ranked fifteenth in the league. So I, I guess that there's no suggestion that Marinos were doing anything wrong. It was just pure pure bad luck. So hopefully again, if if those defenders come back, that that kind of helps to, to fix the problem without too much outlay on, on new players. But just to kind of come back to, to Kevin Muscat, was were you were you surprised with the decision? How, how did the fans t- take his decision to, to walk out after a, a short but but quite successful spell at the club? Well, I think you know to to his credit, um, you know he got I think he was uh, second twice and uh, one one title. So. That's a that's a really good record for I think any any Marinos manager in in the, in their history. The um, like obviously winning a title, there's very you know very few up there on the on the on the board, so you know he'll never be forgotten by that. Um, it was a little bit you know like we we thought in the summertime that he might possibly have gone to. Uh, take the position at in the Glasgow Rangers. Like there was a lot of rumours about that. 
a lot of a lot of press speculation about that. I I think he you know obviously was uh, probably talking to them, but that didn't work out in the end. And then there was rumours that he was going to go to Millwall. So we thought, okay, well he's he's going to go like for sure he he's going to go. And there was a bit where it was announced quite early that he hadn't re-signed his contract. So um, in the in the past they've announced very early, you know, like maybe. November or or even earlier that, that the managers re-signed for the next year, so they've got that. But he said that he wasn't re-signing, so we we're pretty sure that he was uh, he was going. And um, yeah, like um, you know, I, th- I think the fans in general, um, uh, you know, just accept whoever is the manager and and support the manager unless they do, you know, really really terribly. Um, but uh, you know, I, I don't think um, I think everybody kind of wouldn't say got um, bored, but ready for a change with, uh, um, you know, something, somebody else to to come on. So, yeah, he'll be he'll be fondly, fondly remembered. And um, um, like for for somebody who's kind of disliked around the world in many places, um, you know, he seemed to be, a, a, you know, a good, a good chap. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoyed uh um, his short tenure, so that probably sums it up and gives every opinion. But uh, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, no, that's very well summed up, Stuart. And yeah, you're right to to speak of his record. Um, uh, yeah, in two and a half years, he's uh, yeah he's had F Marino's finish uh, second twice. Of course, he came in uh, mid season in in 2021. So yeah, played his part. In, uh, in getting them second in that season. Then, of course, yeah, the championship in uh, 2022, the uh, the fifth in F. Marinos's history. And then, uh, yes, they, they certainly made a much better fist of defending their title than they did uh, uh, back in uh, 2020 when they were, when they finished ninth after, of course, that uh, terrific victory in, in 2019. Uh, so, yeah, they were clearly huge uh, shoes to fill, um, re- replacing Ange Postacoglu on a permanent basis. But, uh, yeah, Muscat, as, as you say Stuart has uh, yeah the the results uh, in his back pocket and um, yeah will uh, I'm sure be remembered fondly by the uh, the support now uh, let's uh, move on and talk about what happened in the uh, the transfer window or at least to this point uh, as we record on on Monday night um, it's definitely a fluid situation I think at uh, F Marinos as we've just seen in the last couple of days with the Takuma Nishimura moving to Swiss club Servette um, We'll uh, we'll certainly get your thoughts on that move in a second, Stuart. But um, yes, otherwise uh, the the goalkeeper Jun Ichimori has returned to Gumbara Osaka after his season loan last year, and also uh, Obi Pal Obinna, who uh, I think for many of us was the uh, yes the heir apparent to the number one shirt for uh, F Marinos at least before last season started. But uh, now he finds himself uh, in Kobe, having made a permanent move to the defending champions. While, um, yes, as we're going to come on to, Nishimura leaves a huge hole, as does centre-back uh, Ryotaro Tsunoda, uh, who has moved to, uh, to to Cardiff. So that's... Uh, yeah, Cardiff are his uh, parent club now. So that's uh, obviously uh, some, some big names having walked out the door, Stuart. And, um, yeah, how uh, how do you think the the new coach, uh, Harry Kuehl, will, uh, will cope with the, those departures from his squad? Yeah, well, I, I read an interview with him the the other day, and I think he said that, you know, like the players that have gone 
um, to Europe, okay, then you know that you know is is good for the club in in that you know we're producing players or developing players who can go to Europe and um, the you know kind of good good luck good luck to them and but but now is the opportunity for the other other players to step up and and fill the gap so it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's like now is the opportunity for us to go shopping and buy new players it's more of a okay we'll you know people we'll carry on with who who we've who we've got um so we were saying about uh, nishimura that um that that came as a real surprise like we 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 always look to the journalist who writes in a japanese uh, um site um yokohama express he's called yokohama express and he seems to be the kind of the the journalistic mouthpiece of the of the club you know there he has the exclusive interviews with the players and very in-depth interviews with the players and all the photos to to go with it so he's definitely the you know the one who who says what what happens and then you know it, it there was a line of pictures showing um tiago and um oh who left who left last year takaoka Yes, yes, right, yes. Almost forgotten, completely forgotten about him. Um, yeah, so 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 this is a third year where they've had a had somebody who's left at the very very last moment, um, uh, unexpectedly. So, but it seemed last year's one was very negative against Takoka. He, you know, he didn't tell us he was going to leave, and he left at the very last moment. But but this one is like all the players saying, yeah, he'd been wanting to to try in Europe and it was his last chance and um, so you know we're very happy that he managed to to get a team so is it from the club's point of view it seemed a lot more positive like there was nobody kind of throwing him under the bus for for mm. for leaving so um, that probably means that you know they weren't too unhappy that he suddenly left but then again he he was at the club presentation a couple of nights before um in his suit and there's there's pictures on the the website of him standing there with the rest of the team he was at the training the um in um the south of japan and um every, everybody uh, um who ordered his uniform in the first batch of uniforms has actually got his new uniform now and it won't mm. be refunded and the club said that they will send, you know, like a, some autographed item by him. So probably spent his last day, days or days in Japan, like signing autographs for for all of the the uniforms. And I think he was the fifth best seller of in the, in the uniform ranking, which was also published, I think, on the club um, Twitter, you know, maybe a few like a week or two ago. So, yeah, a bit surprised that uh, Nishimura um left but okay you know um good luck to him i think he scored two goals last year which um uh, helped out but it wasn't really um uh as well as he'd done in previous years and i, I always thought when when he first came that um wow like this player looks so good he he's a really great player i wonder why he didn't do so well in his other clubs and he did great for a while but kind of faded out so Nishimura, yeah. So we say goodbye to him. Um, Ichimori, um, another one we we kind of like expected that he would go, but it wasn't sure if he'd go or whether he'd make the full transfer. Um, 
but okay, he's uh, gone, you know, um, back back home. Um, Obi, I just think that probably Obi was so fed up at being number three again that that he just kind of thought, okay, I'm not going to get anywhere staying at Marinos and uh, and not getting getting any exposure. So um, you, you know, I guess we have connections, you know, through Ikura. So uh, being at Kobe, so okay, he's gone, gone to to Kobe, and uh, yeah, I hope he does. I hope he does well. And uh, another notable who's who's gone is uh, um, Sugimoto. Yeah, goodbye to him. He, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, but but I I actually really liked him. Like he, yeah, yeah. He, he just never played without a smile on his face, and uh, he obviously was so happy to be there that he came back after. <laughs> going to um was it iwata for a few days and then he came back again so um yeah but i think he's finally gone which is like clearing clearing out a little bit the um the old uh you know uh, woodwork there and uh yeah so we, we're definitely you know weaker for not having um uh, nishimura and you know probably you know obvious as a, as a as a backup um shall we go straight into the the transfers in well, did you want to just have a, a quick word, or maybe Johnny can on uh, Tsunoda and how uh, how important a, a loss he might be? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Uh, yes, I think there's there's kind of five five men out so we, we've mentioned, and I, I don't think uh, Ichimori. I might be a bit biased. Is probably the the biggest loss in respect to last season because, like like you said, Stuart, I think uh, two seasons ago Nishimura was was excellent, but then last year he, he didn't score that many goals, and towards the back end of the season he was kind of. He kind of lost his place to, to Nante here a, a little bit anyway. Um, and then, yeah, Tsunoda. I, I really, really like Tsunoda. He's a very good defender, but he's been very injury-prone, which means that, you know, had he stayed, I've no doubt he would have been the first-choice kind of left-sided centre-back. But with his injury kind of issues, you sort of wonder, would you have to kind of cover for half the season anyway? So I think you know, he's gone over there to, to Court Reich, who I've checked at our bottom of the, the Belgian uh, top top division. And he's, he's partnering Harry uh, Fuji in a, a kind of three-man backline there, and then hopefully he, he can do well there at the end of the season and go, go over to Cardiff, which I must admit was a bit of a strange choice, but we'll, we'll see how that that works out. So yeah, definitely he he will be missed, but he does tend to miss a bit of game time anyway. So it's not a huge hole to cover if the other centre backs can cut come back. Um, and yeah, Ichimori was obviously the, the first choice goalkeeper, and I think he did he did very well. I'm sure Marinos would have, would have liked to to keep him, and then another reason I, I mention him is as we're about to come on to the the, the ins. I'm not convinced by his his replacement, whereas I think uh, Tsunoda and also to an extent Nishimura, there have been players who have come to the club who who can replace them. Ichimori, I think, is still the the big question mark. Have Marinos improved in the in the goalkeeping department? I think Ben, you're about to kind of lay out some of the some of the transfers in it at uh, Nissan Stadium. Well, yeah. Um... Thanks, Johnny. Uh, so, yeah, in between the sticks, uh, William Pop arrives uh, from promoted Machida, who, uh, of course, have taken Korsetani from uh, from Gamba on loan. So it's uh, very much musical chairs with uh, yeah some of these clubs and uh, taking goalkeepers from Gamba and sending them back and then, yeah, uh, this, that and the other. But, um, yeah, all slightly confusing. And my explanation there probably hasn't helped you at all, listeners. But, uh, yes, uh, William Pop, uh, we, we uh, assume, will be the number one for uh, F. Marinos uh, this season. Uh, Taiki Watanabe is a player that we uh, spoke about last week. He's uh, arrived from uh, from Niigata, a versatile 
defender. It'll be interesting to see where he's uh, utilised. Uh, while uh, we spoke uh, to Neil in part one about uh, Kazuya Yamamura and his uh, departure from Kawasaki, and uh, we'll get Stuart's thoughts on his arrival at the Nissan Stadium. While, uh, yeah, uh, amongst others, and uh, you both of you can feel free to weigh in with the other names that intrigue you in the window. One that uh, really grabbed my attention was uh, Jun Amano returning uh, from his loan at uh, Junbuk in the K-League. And, um, yeah, whether he can fill some of uh, the, the void left by Nishimura uh, right off the bat is, um, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. So, uh, yeah, Stuart, the, some of the – I've mentioned some of the, the transfers there. There might be some other uh, other ones that you wanted to pick out for, to mention. But, um, yeah, how do you feel about the players that have arrived at the club in this off-season? Okay, let me just – Go back one step. Um, Sonoda, I, I totally forgot about him, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it was not on my notes. So, um, yes, but but uh, we expected him to to leave uh, in the summer. But as you said, I think just as the summer uh, transfer window came about, he got a bad injury and, and he was out. He was out for a while. Um, and then later in the season, he got a face injury. So that wasn't really... Like, you know, like, you know, leg leg injuries that, that, you know, take players out for a long time. But it was a bad, he took a bad knock. So, um, you know, the, towards the end, his, his like injuries weren't um, that that bad. But, yeah, obviously, like he's, he's ambitious. He's always wanted to go to, to Europe and and, uh, you know, very, very good luck to him. But but definitely I would have liked, you know, to him to. You know, been there long, long term, but that wasn't to be. And then going in, I think Mr. P.O.P.P. is pronounced Pope from mm. uh, from uh, Machida. I think that's his uh, name. Um, yeah, I I didn't really know anything about him before. I never kind of looked at uh, um, much Machida. But um, as always, you know, you look at the YouTube of some incoming player to to see, you know, these. Um, uh, what would it be? The um, um, agents' uh, compilation of uh, all of their highlights, and he looked great on that on that compilation. So, um, you know, very exciting goalkeeper, and uh, so I, I'm I'm quite hopeful that with the coaching um, that that goes on, hopefully he will he will do well. And I think you know, okay, obviously I, I saw um, Ichimori getting you know one to one coaching almost every every training session that um you know i saw i saw him in so so he 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 started out and uh, um you know was coached to play the way that they want to play and uh, i think uh, pope will do the same too so um I'm, at least i'm hopeful with with him um uh, yamamura that's a surprise um like he's turned 34 now i think he's not in his prime anymore but in in terms of a centre back and international um, former international, then um, you know kind of a, a safe bet. I kind of wonder, like you know, like the what the backstory was. But um, like my kind of pet pet theory about a lot of the transfers is a, a lot of players choose a club close to home. So you know, so he, he can still probably live in the same house he's always lived in and uh, his family are nearby. And uh, so he comes down the road to, to Marinos. So I'll be interested to, to hear 
um, what Neil has to to say because I really don't know that much um, about him. Um, Taiki Watanabe, I think he's you know young, you know um, should uh, fit into the system quite well, having been you know coached by you know former um, you know Marinos staff in in Niigata, so you know he should uh, should fit in quite well, and then. We got um, uh, Ren Kato from Verdi, again young young player, um, same position left left back. Um, uh, I, I heard that he's just like, um, you know, he he will play the system, and uh, you know, it was the people who know Verdi said that he wasn't particularly you know, like kind of innovative player, um, but kind of a, a solid you know kind of useful useful player um you kind of be, you wonder why um you know with Verdi coming up you know why he left Verdi or whether he was attracted to Marinos on better better um conditions so be interesting Amano Jun, yeah yeah um okay I'm happy to see him back because uh, now I can resurrect my Aminojun uniform collection. Um, I, I tend to buy only the uniforms of the players that came up from the the youth team. So I have quite an eclectic um, collection of uh, uh, Baranos uniforms that we will never see again. But uh, he has, you know, come back from Korea. And what was funny was like at, at the start of the season we have the the team announcement, the club presentation, and they bring all the players on. And like this is the New player. This is a new player. This is a new player. This is our new player, Amonojo, and he's like, "Hello, my name is Amonojo, and I'm from Korea." You know, that was kind of a, it was a kind of it was a little funny touch, but but um, yeah, he he's been playing for good good clubs in Korea. Um, you know, maybe got uh, his uh, you know playing abroad um, uh, desires or whatever out of his system and. Um, um, I'm glad that he's coming back to Marinos. You know, it would have been a little bit uh, disappointing if he'd played for another club. And um, having said that, uh, I'm so surprised that um, um, Endo came back from uh, Germany and went to FC Tokyo. What mm. a shocker that was. <laughs> I think every, everybody was like, what? <laughs> we, we thought we'd seeing him back again. So, you know, maybe he was uh, drawn to the 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 dark side by uh, Nakagawa or something like that. Um, yeah, so not really an in inspiring um, uh, set for the for the new for the new year, but uh, um, I think they're pretty much what we saw last year will continue. And um, one of the other things to to look in is that Marinos for quite a long time, a few years now, has almost had a consistent set of Brazilian players like only Marcos left last year but um, yeah Elber and um, uh, Anson Lopez and Eduardo they they all seem to be you know very very happy together they're like a happy bunch um, it would have been much more of a, a shock if like Anderson Lopez had you know gone to the Gulf or something like that um, but uh, I think we'll be as Good as we were last year, but whether that will make the um, results happen, I don't know. 
just to come back to a point you made earlier, Stuart, I think it was really yeah. good about the, the, the goalkeeping coaching you mentioned with, with William Pope because you know, yeah. Gamba played a, a pre-season friendly against uh, Sam Fredshie last week opening uh, the, the new stadium and a, a number of the Gamba fans commented immediately how much better Ichimori looked after coming back from a year at Marinos, just like his demeanour and confidence and performance, everything was like night and day from when he went. So I think that's all credit to, well, not to Ichimori himself, but also to the, the coaching staff there. So, yeah, definitely you're right to point out that, well, my opinion of Pope is just he's kind of OK. I think we can expect to see him improve quite quite a lot this season. And then also with, I think, with the Ren Cato. But people might remember, before I was on, on Big Pod so much, I used to go on, on the, the J2 um JTEP sometimes, and I remember asking John Steele to, to give me give me a name or one or two names of players currently playing in J2 who could potentially be internationals in the future. And actually, one of the names he gave was was Ren Cato. So I'm sure John was quite d- delighted that he moved up to Marinos, gives him more chance to get into the national team and kind of pr- prove him right. And you know, Watanabe, we, we mentioned last week when we were talking about Niigata, is a very good move to move him from, from left back to, to centre back. I do kind of have the slight question mark with him, a, a bit like Nishimura, that he's only had a, a reason, relatively small spell of playing very well in J1. So, again, he's going to probably need a bit, bit of coaching. At least, though, he does have like Eduardo's there, so essentially he's going to be the backup at the beginning, I believe, so he can kind of bed into to the Mariners' setup. And then, yes, yeah, so really, I think it's good for the league to see uh, Emmanuel back. He's obviously played for the two two. Usually the two perennial big two in, in Korea, um, like Jumbuk and, and Ulsan. And I, I wonder, because you know, Nishimura, as you say, it seems like it was a kind of last minute deal. It, it seemed like they were targeting Yuma Suzuki, then he got injured and they moved for Nishimura. But I wonder what the plan was with Amano being there and Nishimura. Was he going to be in one of the, the holding roles and now he might play more of the, the kind of number 10 role? Where do you see Amano fitting in in the system? Yeah, I think, I think like, in, in the way that Marcos played in the in the past, I think Am- Amano will play like maybe behind the in the middle behind the the, the two forwards or, or the, the forwards. So so yeah, he'll he'll play. Um, well, I'm guessing from his past experience, like maybe maybe you know getting older, um, you know he'll drop back a little bit. But um, you know, I, th- I think he'll be he'll be playing um, uh, forward. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. So um, interesting to see whether they'll work out as a uh, a net positive or a, a net negative these uh, these uh, transfers in and out in this off season for F Marinos. But uh, yeah, not a uh, massive amount of new players uh, to bet into the first team. I would suggest uh, for uh, for new coach Harry Kuehl, who uh, takes over, of course, from. Kevin Muscat, having been a part of the coaching team at Celtic under Ange Postacoglu and then uh, Brendan Rodgers. Uh, he hasn't managed higher than League Two in uh, England, though, and is very much unproven as a senior coach, Stuart. So do you trust in the, the front office that they did their due diligence before appointing Kuehl? Or is there a belief amongst the support that uh, maybe the front office just went, uh, well, our last two coaches uh, were Australian and both worked out well. So uh, let's just get another. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's the, yeah, the, the proving ground for Australian management, isn't it? The Marinos now, who, who would have thought, who would have thought that a few years ago? Um, yeah, I think probably in much the same way as um, Kevin came as a recommendation by Angie, I think probably 
um, like kind of secondhand recommendation, you know, Harry, Harry will, will come in. And, you know, I think maybe, maybe Kevin also was in, in contact with him. Who, who knows? I don't, I don't know whether they, they, they have any kind of crossover apart from, you know, uh, Marinos and, and the obvious Australian um, connections. But yeah, so I was just thinking exactly the same that, that, um, he's a quite a young coach for us but um like he spent one one year with um angie and uh you know they they obviously did i think was it the treble that that year that that uh, he he was there so in terms of keeping consistency with the the type of the football then okay that's a, a positive for there and maybe kind of a similar character um in the same vein as um the two previous managers you know maybe the the players will be okay um with that and and i was also thinking that he he's played in very good clubs um in his past so he's got a wide range of um experience and uh like going 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 from celtic to marinos like i don't want to say it's a big drop but but in terms of the resources that celtic have and mm. the facilities that celtic have compared to what marinos has is it's quite a tough um uh position for him to to, to go into because he probably has a lot less support than he had um in in the celtic and and even um in in some of the other clubs that he's uh, been in, in in the in the uk so it's a real challenging uh, situation for him and um in in terms of the you know the, the the characters well like we we got you know Australia's best manager then the the world's uh, dirtiest player and now we have uh, Australia's greatest export so um, yeah so it's yeah so it's, it's we'll we'll be we'll be interested I I don't think our Australian contingent in in Marinos were too thrilled that Harry was going to be the replacement they thought maybe. You know, uh, Manchester City might group might do some magic and uh, you know find some some someone to come and uh, come over. But um, in terms of uh, yeah consistency, um, Angie, you know, kind of bloodline or you know legacy, then uh, yeah maybe it's the best they could uh, they could muster. But um, yeah, it certainly seems uh, very. Um, uh, confident in in his manner and uh you know the way the way you know he's got ideas and uh i think in his own um he, he's talked about you know like being under under postcoglu and learning from him and he really likes the postcoglu way the the way that he played football so he he definitely knows exactly how to do that he's been in the position where he he just had to like you know okay start the the new guy on the job and just uh receive you know what what his instructions from Postcoglu and you know get on with it basically so he knows what to what to do i've got every confidence that he can he can replicate that but he also seemed to be um a person who was less uh philosophical than Postcoglu and would probably change things around a bit if uh things uh weren't working out so he may have plan b or plan c but sometimes the um plan b and plan c might not go as well as you you hope they they would if you keep changing things around too much so we 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 will see now i wonder how long he will be given at, at marinos like 
um say Postacoglu's first year was was uh, fantastic in in terms of the football but terrible in terms of the the overall position in the league but um you know he definitely knew what he was doing and everybody could see that everybody enjoyed it so he got his second chance and uh, and you know went on to you know win the win the title so um will we have a great new year that's really a a big question and all as as ever it depends on you know how the other clubs treat us in uh, taking down other potential leaders it's definitely a fascinating appointment because if if you compare him to his, his two predecessors i think at the time of appointment Kuehl clearly has the the, be- the biggest kind of global name recognition in terms of a, a name in football but that is largely based on his his playing career, but he's also significantly less experienced as a as a number one than, than either Muscat or or Postecoglou were. And yes, as Ben, as, as you said, he's, he's not he's not like as a as a number one. He's not got such a great record. I think Crawley, Barnet, Oldham, Notts County, and just over a season with with Crawley between 2017 and 2018 is that the longest he's had as a as a number one. But yeah, like Stuart's just lined out there, he's he's worked with a a number of, of great coaches, so not only as as a player but also uh, as a as a co- up and coming coach himself with with Postecoglou and Rogers at, at Celtic, so I'm definitely very interesting to interested to see how he's getting on. I know one of my my Gamba supporting friends told me there was a an interview with a, a Mariners player, and they said that the mood in the camp was was very good and they were enjoying working with Kuehl. But I, I guess that's the the kind of big difference between just being a member of the coaching staff and actually being being the the, the head the, the head coach, whereas. Um, it's very easy to be everyone's mate when you're, when you're just a coach and you can be friends with everyone. But at some point, he's going to have to make tough decisions during the season. He's going to have to drop players. He's going to have to pick someone over someone else. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like what, what his character is like or how he, he handles tough situations. Um, as again, as Stuart pointed out, with the, the kind of Brazilian players and also they've had the coaches before. Mariners generally do a lot better than other other J1 clubs in terms of recruiting and, and retaining like top foreign talent. So, you know, I have a bit of faith in, in what, what they're doing, that, that, that they know what they're doing, that they've got the right kind of references and Kuehl could be a success. And he, he does have the backroom staff there. I think John Hutchison's come in and, and yeah, a lot, a lot of last year's squads there. So that there's definitely there's plenty of things to help him along. But yeah, not, not too many managerial changes this year. So it's very interesting to see the, the side in second be one of the few teams to change coach. So, yeah, definitely one of the stories to look out for this season. But, you know, Ben, you're... Your countryman, Harry Kuehl, what did you make of this appointment? Yeah, very – well, I shouldn't say I was surprised, Johnny, because, yeah, obviously the the pattern at F. knows is well and truly set now with the, yes, uh, Australians uh, – two Australians in charge before Kuehl got the job. But um, a huge opportunity for Kuehl, obviously, to, to really um, make his name as a, as a first-team coach at a uh, at a big club in the J League, and then whether that can be a stepping stone for him um, to yeah get uh, a higher profile job back in Europe, I'm sure that's something that he'll look to do down the line. But um, yeah, he he does appear fully committed uh, to to this job and getting the best out of this squad. Um, obviously, as an Australian and a, a Liverpool supporter, I uh, have fond memories of his uh, playing 
days, but as an FC Tokyo supporter, I hope he doesn't do particularly well <laughs> in this uh, job. But uh, yeah, he certainly has um, a good backroom staff, and obviously the the foundation is there from his uh, his predecessors. So we'll see how Kuhl gets on, and obviously he's straight into action uh, with the 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 ACL round of 16 uh, double header against the Bangkok that we've mentioned uh, with the first leg. Uh, taking place uh, this Wednesday. Let's uh, fire it back to you, Johnny, for your uh, one to watch for uh, F Marinos in the 2024 season. Um, I've gone for someone we haven't mentioned yet, someone who was there last season, and that's uh, young uh, Riku Yamane, who, who's represented Japan a bit at age level. He, he's, a, he's a Paris Olympic candidate. I think at the, the start of last season, he, he was actually picked a bit at, at right back. And I think that was largely due to, to injuries and possibly him him being so good, you couldn't really keep him outside the 11. But I remember he made quite a, had a bit of a misunderstanding with Ichimori and the, the game went away to Vissel Kobe. And then eventually he kind of reverted to his, his regular position as a, as a holding midfielder. And it was actually quite interesting to see that it, towards the back end of the season, he kind of edged the, the club captain, uh, Taki Akida, out of the side under under Muscat. I think he, he started seven of the last eight games in, in, in J1. He only started 10 the whole season. So he definitely came on strong towards the, the back end. But yeah, I think Yamane, I think I think at some point he will be a, a, a Japan, like a full international. He's really impressed and he seems to have grown each season. He's made more appearances. He looks more confident. And yeah, so I, I fancy him to, to potentially edge out Kida over the, the course of the year, even if he doesn't necessarily start at the beginning. I think you'll see plenty of game time. So yeah, Riku Yamane is my, my one to watch. So what about yourself, Stuart? Do you, do you have someone that we should keep an eye on at, at Marinos? Um, yeah, like uh, Yamane is a very, really good choice. Yeah, um, I, I had his uniform uh, last last year for the mm-hmm. ACL uniform. Um, I, I really like him, and I, I, I you know, I, I think you, you can't go, can't go wrong with him. I really hope that uh, he does well. So I think, I think probably I would have gone for the same. The same oh, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the same one. No, no, no. I, I think it's a, you know, really kind of a astute uh, um, uh, choice. I, I uh, and I think in, in terms of, you know, like people um, up and up and coming. I think. Um, you know, he's he's well established in in the club, but still, you say a very young player, um, you know, uh, from from the youth team. So, uh, like, I hope he stays at Marinos as long as Kida, and uh, you know, he'll be you know taking over his uh, position there. Yeah, but uh, I was going to say about uh, Harry Cool that he came to my on my radar for the first time um, uh, at Celtic because. Uh, um, Maida Dyson, he said on on his own Twitter or, or, or some some kind of interview or something, he said, you know, I've been sitting down with uh, Harry, Harry Kuehl, and uh, he's been helping me out, and uh, you know, I really appreciated his uh, you know the comments, and uh, you know, he's really kind of developed my my mm. play, and I thought that was so unusual for like a, a Japanese player to you know kind of praise you know uh, uh, coaching staff anyway and uh, say how much they'd helped him and especially at Celtic where you know um, Dyson was a really good player anyway and uh, um, you know there was not like he, he plays in a very characteristic way but um, you know there wasn't much to, to fix but for him to say that he'd really um, appreciated Harry's uh, um, you know the um, helping helping him out with um, some 
aspects of his play uh, that really struck me you know it was about you know over a over a year maybe a year and a half ago whenever whenever it whenever it happened and um because um, I didn't really know um, Harry Kuehl at that at that time at all, just uh, you know one of Angie's uh, um, staff, and that uh, made me think that okay, he's gone through obviously the translator, or he's gone through and uh, you know worked with um, a Japanese player and had very good communication to the point that they they would say that it was helpful to them. So I I, I thought that was really kind of a good sign for. Him being able to, um, you know, he he knows exactly what he's coming into if he comes into Marinos with uh, or to any Japanese club to to uh, start working with their players. And Angie Angie said the same thing that he had to really, you know, in a way scrap his communication style when he came to Marinos because he'd got you know two three simultaneous interpreters working all at the same time to. Uh, to get the message across, so he had to simplify it and do it. So I think Harry's uh, um, uh, probably won't have any problems in in that uh, respect. Yep. Okay. So was there a, a player that you wanted to pick out apart from uh, from Yamane Stewart, or shall uh, shall I give mine and then we can move on and uh, and begin to wrap things up? Um, you give you give yours. Yep. I have a little think. <laughs> No worries at all. Yeah, I, I was a split between uh, Riol Meichi and Asahi Wainaka, actually. I, I thought mm-hmm. Johnny might have uh, plumped for uh, Wainaka, uh, I think maybe as he did at this time uh, last year. So uh, Meichi was uh, set as my uh, my backup. Obviously, um, had a, a number of uh, in injury issues uh, over his uh, career and in, in recent years as well. And, um, you know, always a heartwarming story when he makes it back onto the pitch and then heartbreaking again to see... Uh, when he always appears to to have the worst luck and break down again. So hopefully um, this will be a, an injury-free campaign where Meiichi can uh, can really express himself and um, yeah display his full range of uh, of ability, which is obviously um, had him on everybody's radar from uh, from a very young age. Um, he did get to three league goals after making it back. I think for the start of the second half of the year last year and uh, and featuring quite a bit in the second half of the season. So hopefully, uh, yeah, that's a sign of things to come for uh, for Miichi. And uh, obviously, with Nishimura now uh, out of the picture, a little bit more of the uh, the creative and uh, goal scoring responsibilities uh, falls on his shoulders. So, was there anyone that popped into your head, Stuart, or shall we uh, shall we move on? Well, I'm going to go for um, Keigo Sakagibara, um, number 35. He's uh, uh, you know very kind of a you know, 20, 23 now um, hasn't really made it through to the the, the top team midfielder. A very crowded uh, place. Um, he looks like a really good good player. I think he was on um, in the match against um, Manchester City, and he looked great against you know, like you know to to come on as a young player, um, Japanese young player against Manchester City, and look look so so good. Uh, um, I I really just hope that he. You know, makes it into the into the uh, the big time, and uh, you know, it's a lot of there's a lot of uh, you know talent talent there. I think so. I think overall, we've got a lot of you know good players, even even the ones who don't make it into the the top team. But as as you said, Mirchi, what what a story! Like I didn't expect him to have you know such a you know kind of a you know powerful Im- impact, to, like with his that terrible injury, and then actually coming back from that and and 
in like one of the last matches of the season, like running out, running a player. I just thought that was one of the most amazing things. Like, uh, you know, it was out running a player to score the goal. Really fantastic. Um, you know, I'm very happy to have seen him, seen him play and a really, really nice uh, character as well. Indeed. Very well said, Stuart. OK, so let's wrap things up then. Uh, Johnny, I'll come to you first for uh, our final thoughts on their prospects for 2024. Uh, leading off with a question from Sam Robson, who says that like last winter, it seems that the squad has gotten weaker and a lot seems to be riding on Harry Kuehl, having developed as a manager through coaching under Ange Postacoglu and Brendan Rogers. Uh, is there still enough in the squad to be genuine title challengers or are there too many areas of concern? Um, I've got Marinos a, a little bit like like Frontale. I think that they'll be that they're not a direct title contender at the minute and they're not with, with, with Vissel, Sanfrecce and Urawa, I think, of the top three. But I can't write this Marinos team off, even as, as Sam says, it it might look slightly weaker at the moment, but with the kind of coaching they have off the off the pitch and also with that front three, the, the Anderson Lopez, Elber and, and Jan Matias, I can't rule them out of, of being title contenders. I would say that they'll likely regress a, a bit from what I can see on, on paper, but yeah, they should be in the, the top four or five and I think they'll be in a, a lot of J-Pred, so yeah, it's definitely not all doom and gloom, but it, Sam's definitely right to point out that the, the cure is the, the massive question mark. We know they've got good players across the pitch. If they can keep them all fit, yeah, how, how the new coach does, I think, will 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 shape the team. It's going to be a decent season, I think, but how, how good it is, I think, really depends on, on Kuehl. But what about yourself, Stuart? Yeah, it's it's like it feels in a funny way the, the almost the same thing we we said when uh, you know Angie left. Well, you know if he doesn't if Kevin doesn't mess with the team too much, they'll be they'll be okay. And then you know if Harry doesn't mess with them too much, they'll 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 probably be okay. So because they, they you know they actually have a system and they know what to do and their 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 training you know is comes under that. So um, he probably won't get a better base. Um, in terms of Marinos as they are right right now but as you say like you know the Marinos uh, the, the the club seems to be um, on cost saving cost saving mode and uh, running on the low low budget as far as uh, um, uh, new players coming in so nobody is is coming to save us apart from those that, that we've got I, I'm I'm quite hopeful um uh, I don't. I think every year we always have the same the same kind of uh, complaints that, okay, who who's possibly who's going to score all the goals, you know, what about all these players that that left? But oh, we've we've done quite well in the last few years, so I'm I'm hopeful that we'll do well. Um, I think uh, Kobe might be on a bit of a bit of a roll given, you know, their resources and uh, the the obvious like uh, talent that that they have. Um, and as you say, you know, clubs like Kawasaki and uh, Urawa and Kashima too haven't been playing up to their their normal standards over the last uh, few years. So uh, we really have quite a um, say even league, but but uh, you know, anything can happen in the next uh, one year. It does indeed, and um, 
this might be a good time to point out to both of you guys and to the listeners that I nailed uh, my prediction on F Muddy Knows In at last season's JPRED. Uh, I think that's about the only thing I got right uh, across all three divisions. But yes, I did have F Muddy Knows In second uh, last year. So whether I'm the F Muddy Knows Whisperer or not, I guess is to be uh, determined. But yeah, at this stage, I do plan on having F Muddy Knows in my JPRED. So I'm expecting, uh, Sam, in answer to your question, that yes, they, they will be in and around the, the title race. Uh, um, I'm not sure if I'll have uh, have F Marino's uh, winning the league or not at this stage, but uh, yeah, I, I expect they will be uh, definitely up around the sharp end of the table again. So uh, yeah, so much to look forward to uh, this season for you, Stuart. Um, yes, obviously uh, some interesting new players into the club and uh, a new coach to get behind as well. Uh, thanks very much for uh, sharing your thoughts on um, on everything in this episode, and uh, yeah, all the best for the the games to kick off the new season we look forward to catching up with you uh, throughout the year yes thank you very much i hope i will be uh, on again because uh, if marinos are doing well you you'll call me up if they're not doing well i probably won't be on so much in in the year but always happy to meet um uh our listeners as i travel around uh, uh japan i met quite a few last last year so um hope to meet more and some new people too Yep, that's absolutely tremendous. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, So that's uh, it for this episode, Johnny. Uh, That makes it uh, now 15 teams down and uh, just five left to go on our final week of uh, previews before the uh, the league kicks off the following weekend. So, uh, yeah, we've just about made it, mate. Yeah, I think we're we're 75% of the way there. So, yeah, 20 teams, you know, it doesn't feel like a big increase from 18 to 20, but I think week after week doing an extra two teams and, and doing all the extra work, it, it does kind of add up. But yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still thoroughly enjoying it. And we've got I think we've got all our newly promoted teams next week and then yeah, a couple of, of J1 stalwarts as well. So we've had, so, had some great guests on this week and I'm sure we'll have some great guests on again next week. So yeah, I'm definitely loving it. And you know, Marinos and Kawasaki in uh, ACL action this week. So the build-up's all starting, the Super Cup's coming, the Maycans are coming up. So yeah, I, ho- I hope the listeners are enjoying it. And yeah, it's been great talking to, to you and Stuart and, and Neil tonight. So thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Johnny. Terrific stuff, as always, from you. And, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode of the JTalk podcast. Johnny and I would like to thank Neil and Stuart very much for guesting on this episode. Thanks to Sam for his questions on both the Shonan and uh, F. Muddy Nose. Thanks to all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. And thanks to you listeners for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week with our final five teams to preview before the big kickoff. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.